On the show today, we're going to talk the PWI 500. That new ranking has come out, and it really got me thinking, guys. I used to love Pro Wrestling Illustrated as a kid, and I loved the PWI 500, like mid-90s, late-90s, early-90s. I was all about this. Seeing wrestlers I had never heard of, seeing who had that one spot, that just seeing PWI 500 on the rundown, Brian, hit me in the old feel spot. Oh, yeah, man. I'm going way back. I'm trying. I used to go back and count how many Von Erich brothers I could I could find in the top 500. That's where I'm talking. That's where I'm coming from. That's what I'm talking about. And normally there were like, what, like five to seven Von Erich brothers in that PWI top 500? You know, five to seven to 18 anytime. They would even create some good old Lance Von Erich got created. But, you know, was anybody ever more over than the Von Erich brothers? I mean, we talk about what if you could have been in sync at its peak in terms of what you could slay. Who slayed more than the Von Erics in Texas? Let's be really honest. No, I mean, you're probably right, and I love the Texas Tornado early 90s WWF, but um, were you big into the wrestling magazines as a kid? Oh, yeah. PWI was like the go-to because, you know, you, you obviously didn't have the internet. So if I wanted to find out what's going on in those other territories, who was on top? And just, Nick, let's be honest, every picture was was coated in blood. I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of wrestling I get down with. No, and I love WWF magazine back in the day. I even liked WCW magazine when that was around. Wow, that's, I must have been out by that point. All I remember is that centerfold of, of, of Liz from, from WWE Magazine in the late 80s. That, that made the rounds on the elementary school circuit. And before the internet, I used to go like to Barnes & Noble. Um, shout out to me for doing this and rip the pictures of like the swimsuit, like the swimsuit competitions, <laughs> rip them out, put them in my pocket and take them home with me to shepherd a prepubescent Nick Costos through those cold, wintry nights in New York, Brian Campbell. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. That's why they call you Nasty Nick. Let's get on with it. Corner with the Brian Campbell. This is the Professional Wrestling Edition. Now, me, I am handsome Nick Costos, and I want to tell you, listeners, how much I appreciate those of you that reached out on Twitter to tell me, hey, handsome Nick, can't wait for you to get back in the gym, clanging and banging, and get over your pinched nerve. I appreciate those of you that validated my existence by following me on Instagram at the Costos and voicing your concern, hoping for me to get back lifting those weights. I am happy to report that handsome Nick Costos is at 100%. He's back in the gym, and he's still lifting weights and I'll tell you what he needed it because is his insecurity was at an all-time high following a month out of the gym no time to sculpt that physique confidence at an all-time low now that he's back he absolutely loves it and he's talking in the third person you know why that is because he is a petty pathetic insecure little man and as always I am joined by my tag team partners first off He's still disappearing. Like, it's unbelievable how much weight the guy has lost. He looks absolutely fantastic. He is fantastic. He sounds fantastic. He is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. And as always, I am joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He's wearing a Bo Dallas shirt that I can see on Skype. Let's go. He's the main event. Bring it. He's the icon. My man. He is the whole effing show. One time. He is the bod that guides the pod. Stay hype. He is the mast that moves the cast. Let's go. You know his name, damn it. You are a believer in him. His name is the Brian Campbell. Oh, 
yeah. BC, tell them what's on the damn podcast. Oh, wow. Do yourselves a favor <laughs> and get some of this. We got another great show for you today with that cup runneth over of that one substance that separates you from the guy she told you not to worry about. Yeah, I'm talking about that performance enhancing audio. So sit back and get juiced as we recap the week that was in WWE. Answer your DM slides in the return of our favorite segment. Now that you, the listener, have heeded our call, we're also going to take a dive back into the archives. This pay-per-view rewind looks at the main event of In Your House 16. Canadian stand Stampede time, where if you're a mark for Smith Hart in a leather jacket, then this <laughs> is your podcast. So let me encourage you once more before we get going that if you hear something today in the show that you like, if you see something, say something. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and take the time to rate and review. Tell us what you love about the show. Heck, tell us how we can improve the show. But most importantly, let us know you're listening because we've got big plans for the future of this show and we need your support. So without any further ado, it's time. Hello, ladies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm handing the keys back to the most eligible bachelor in all of South Florida, handsome Nick Costa. Don't forget the most passionate man in North America. I happen to really like that tagline that you've given me. So I'm going to work it in if you're not going to. Great intro, as always, from the Victor Conti, the cousin Yuri, the King Balco the first of our performance-enhancing audio, the man whose name is on the marquee, the Brian Campbell. Guys, as always, we begin with the main event. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. I think that I like the Bruce Buffer better than the Howard Finkel. So I, think uh, that's... I was considered, I thought you were going to jump on me. I thought that was the worst we've had so no, far. No, I think that's no, better. That I think good. that might be better than the, uh, the Howard Finkel one. And what a main event it was. We got two parts of the main event, a two-part main event for you. But part number one, let's be honest, was the main event of the main event that scintillating John Cena, Roman Reigns promo from Monday Night Raw that landed with a bullseye right in my feel spot. Bri, let's just get right into it. This was glorious. It was masterful. Did it do for you what it did for me? I don't want to break this down from a journalistic or, you know, an a analysis standpoint as much as I just want to absolutely mark out and just wipe off all this milk of Marknesia over me. Do you know that sound that was coming out inside of me while this was going on? <laughs> I mean, I was fired up. Look, I know after the fact there's been some reports from some insiders saying, oh, every word of that was 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 staged, you know, scripted. It wasn't a shoot like it. I don't even care because you know what? It felt like a shoot. And in pro wrestling, that's all that matters. We're suspending our disbelief. We want things that feel real. This was everything you could have wanted from this situation. One week after, I thought they really had just teased us with this. I didn't think we were going to get a match at Mono Mercy, get a program right now and by the way if it plays into what the silver king said a week ago of you know let's go up against those football ratings let's get ourselves hot right now ahead of college and monday night football coming in and, and competing with that that season then that's heck yeah for us but this back and forth this trading they said the things nick that we think yep. as hardened inside fans. So one after another, I mean, Cena calling Roman out for, for not having the line ready in that promo. That was just as good as the week before Cena calling out the Miz, right, for mispronouncing Barclays. I mean, we are on a run of hot promos here. Like I said, I didn't break it down for you good. I just wanted to yell and scream and tell you how much I enjoyed that. That got me fired up. It does feel like WWE has made a, a concerted effort since SummerSlam to inject some realism 
into Raw, what we saw at the Miz's promo last week, and then with this awesome Cena Reigns uh, promo this week. Um, there's a lot to get into here. We're going to get into all of it because, quite frankly, um, it, it really merits it. I just want to give what I thought was the best line. And look, John Cena dominated this verbal exchange. Um, Cena really crushed Reigns. Like, he didn't bury him. Like, anyone that says that he buried him is wrong because, like you said, Bri, it was scripted. Like, it w- felt real, but there's no question that this was scripted beforehand, obviously, since it's fake. But it did make you lose yourself in the moment. And as I tweeted that night, it's been retweeted like a, a couple hundred times. Wrestling becomes Shakespeare when you lose yourself in the moment and forget it's fake. And that's what happened here. My favorite line, Silver King, in the entire promo. Cena going to Reigns, I'm here because you can't do your job. Basically saying, you can't carry the company the way that I carried the company, even though Vince McMahon wants you to carry the company. And as a result, I've got to be here busting my ass on Monday Night Raw when I could be shooting videos or cavorting with my gorgeous soon-to-be wife, Nikki Bella. Yeah, that's the key line of the entire thing. And that's really where it sets the tone for the feud to come. This was very Rock rock, uh, John Cena-esque. They're trying to repeat the work shoot promos they did with those two guys with Roman Reigns in the place. The problem is, obviously, Roman Reigns is not The Rock, and he just can't handle it the same way. I'm very curious to find out if that flubbed line where he couldn't remember the second part of what he was going to say was also worked so Cena could hit him back again, or if it wasn't. It's something that one day I'd love to ask him, but Nick's right. That was the absolute key line, and then John Cena followed it up with, you should be ashamed I'm a part-timer because I do this part-time better than you do it full-time. So good. And by the way, I don't think Reigns got dominated. I thought he he maybe Cena won because he was scripted to to get overall better jabs. Right, if it was, was a boxing more, round, what would you have scored it? Uh, you know, maybe 10-9 in a close Stop round. Stop it. It was, Brian, it was 10-8 Cena. It was 10-8. I w- uh, that's fair, but I for your take, I was more than happy from my point of view to see Reigns compete with him on the level and see Reigns be allowed to really call him out for some key things in there. In fact, I had a, a, a great dad moment. My kids stayed up late enough to be able to watch that segment with me, and their response as it was going on was, Dad, why are these guys acting like heels against each other? And again, that's what I love about this feud. What a good dad. Two guys we all want to be <laughs> heels are allowed to act like it. We haven't seen... This high profile of a babyface, babyface feud that I can remember since maybe, and this is a match I just fell into recently, remember 2015 Fastlane when Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan fought, and it was it was to set up the winner of that match would get the chance to fight Brock at WrestleMania 31. I like the way that feud was built up because we saw a very edgy Daniel Bryan. This is that type of setup all over again. And look, Reigns for my money, he was right there inspired with the King, and I and he's you know we know he's going to go over in the end. But I thought I think that they're setting this up right where he will naturally feel like he got one up on John in the end. I'm I'm ready. I'm fired up. Come on. The question though, Nick is the timing, because, man, I want to see this at no mercy, but are we also going to keep seeing it after there? See, I could not disagree with you more that you think Reigns. I, I would bet a lot of money that Cena wins this match coming Same. up at no mercy. Because I think this is what – I'm guessing. Well, I don't, I'm, not, I'm saying long-term. Long-term, I think Reigns goes over in the end. Correct. I, don't know I agree with that. One. Yes, no, Cena will absolutely win Chapter 1, and I think that this is why they're doing it now. I think that, again, I don't, I don't freaking know. I'm not, I almost cursed. I'm not there in Titan Tower. I'm not there talking to Vince McMahon. This is my, I think it's a pretty educated guess. What did we say after SummerSlam? That WWE was in the exact same position today that they were in three years ago, before WrestleMania 31 with Reigns and Lesnar. If you do Reigns and Lesnar again in the main event of WrestleMania 34 and Reigns wins, the crowd is going to turn on him and it's not going to be good, right? That's what's going to happen. 
So I think Vince may be seeing this and has maybe put this together, this program together hastily. It should have taken more time. But because I think that he thinks that Cena can get Reigns over as a face. And the only way to do that is to build sympathy for him by having Cena beat him, continually disrespect him, and then the fans can start to get behind Reigns to give Cena his comeuppance. That would be my take on it. So I think that's what you're going to see happen at No Mercy. I don't know if that'll work because I don't know if the fans will treat Cena like a heel. It's different than to give him a polarizing reaction than to treat him like the heel in this. Maybe I'm being too optimistic here. But to me, what Nick said, I'm taking it a little one step further. I think we might be seeing the beginnings of a Roman Reigns heel turn because having him turn against... Let me tell you, we've already, we've already been in the beginnings, right? He did try to kill a guy. Let me just sure. pull that, <laughs> that point back in. Sure, sure. But they pulled that back pretty quick. Um, and also, to be fair, like he was, he was uh, attempted murder on him first before he attempted murder himself. <laughs> to, be, to be fair. It was revenge. It was revenge. Um, I just think that you can turn him heel against Cena because what Cena's saying... It, it gets the Smarks up. There's cheering for Cena. And if you have the Smarks cheering no, for... No, but they don't want Reigns to be heel, though. But maybe they actually do. Like, maybe this is what we are seeing now. They finally said, Cena, turn him heel. Make it happen. And maybe this is how they do Let it. Let me ask you something, Silver it, King. It could work. Be honest, Silver King. What is the percent chance that you think that that's, that's a reality? 15%. Okay, so why are you, <laughs> what the hell are we even talking about? I'm, 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 I'm trying to give it a perspective. That's all. Let him say that because... There's zero chance Cena's going feel like exactly. we know that. That's, that's the, true. Make a wish is too strong. So why not continue the quasi heel push for Roman here? He looks like a heel. He acts like a heel. He talks like a heel. Why not? I'm I'm not against what Silver King's staying in. Number of things that we got to hit. Silver King brought it up. The Reigns, quote unquote, forgotten flubbed lines. When I was watching it, my initial instinct was they did it on purpose. Cena jumped in, and he had that line about the fourth wall. It seemed like, I don't think that line was improvised. I think that it was prepared. I think they did that on purpose to really sell the fact that Cena had won that promo and had gotten the one up on Reigns. That was my instant take. to support that, if you saw Kurt Angle's tweet after, he tweeted out a picture of his face, and he says, the face you make when uh, a shoot turns into, or when a, a promo turns into a shoot. I would agree with you on that regard. But, like, I feel like we are in the minority here, because I feel like most people, I even saw our buddy Dave Meltzer of the wrestling Observer tweeted that Reigns forgot his lines. Now, I don't know if he knows that or not, but again, for me watching it, my and I'm curious, like, want the fans to tweet us, hashtag in this corner. Bri, you felt like in the moment, you felt like it was scripted. That flub was scripted? After the more after the fact, in the moment I got caught up in in the mark zone and was just like, oh man. But when you look at that, that's back-to-back weeks of a slip. I wonder if the the Miz slip up on Barclays was accidental. It was played off so well that they go, hey, let's repeat this. Because, by the way, they repeat a lot of things, right? So that seemed to make more sense to me. If it was accidental, Roman Reigns is a hell of a lot better of an actor and promo guy than we give him credit for. Because he sold it as real. Okay, you're 100% right. I'm sorry, if that. it was scripted, I'm sorry. No, no, no. But now you know what I meant. I understood what you were saying. Yeah, you know what I meant. Any issues with... Because my one... Look, I know Silver King is usually the contrarian who likes to rain on everybody's <laughs> parade. This was an outstanding moment, and I, I loved it. Like, and I'm, I don't want this, I don't want that to get lost in what I'm about to say. I loved it, loved it, capital L-O-V-E-D. It did feel a little contrived in the sense that it felt like they were going above and beyond in a way that did not feel natural to tell you that they were breaking the fourth wall. Besides for the fact of Cena actually saying it, like it felt a little Vince Russo-ish 
Like, and I, and I think, like, you make the argument, if you do it, like, once in the blue moon, it's okay. But it did feel like it was almost a little bit, hey, too much, wink, wink, nod, nod, smart fans, you know what we're doing here. That was the only thing, Brian, that put me off just a little bit about that. I get that. that. It, it's, it's, the, it's my same reaction, though, to the idea that it was all scripted, it's just, which is what you're saying, which is, in the end, it's like, I, it came out so good that I completely look over that. And because I'd much rather have it be that I'd much rather have, have it be where their magicianship was so ambitious that I picked up a little bit of what they were doing. than it'd be the complete opposite where there's giant holes in the storyline and people just acting out of character, which is what we see too often. So again, Look, what else could we have wanted about from a first, you know, from chapter one of these two against each other starting up a feud? Really, I'm so happy that John mentioned the fourth wall. Like, this is exactly where I want them to go. Because guess what? The whole CM Punk pipe bomb thing was all scripted too, but we love to pretend that it wasn't. It's the same thing in the end. It was a great moment. Let's not spend any time tearing it apart or analyzing it with a cross eye. It was awesome from two guys who are not always awesome on the mic and sometimes play the corporate line too much and sometimes are involved in storylines that aren't the most fun and inventive or just more about, like, let's get these two guys over. Instead, they came out and acted like guys we really like. They came out and talked like The Miz and did, like, non-John Cena and Roman Reigns things. That's the thing that we have to celebrate, right? I have a strong take on how I think this plays out next Monday night because here's the thing, right? If you listen to what Cena said in response to what Reigns was saying, Cena's right. It's the same thing every single time, whether it's AJ Styles or Kevin Owens, and even to a lesser degree, The Rock. They come out and you bury Cena because he's a part-timer and he's been shoved down our throats and he's the only one that, that Vince McMahon protects and Cena buries everybody. It really is. It's the same song and dance. And Cena was right. He goes, Cena goes, that's what you've got, man. I get that from everybody. I thought maybe you'd, you'd have something a little different here. So I think that they structured this purposefully. And also I think the flub was structured purposefully to put Cena over in a big way and make Reigns look a little amateurish compared uh, to what yeah. Cena did. I'm going to give you this take, and I feel strongly about this, and I'll eat crow next week if I turn out to be wrong. I'll bet you next Monday night we get the best promo of Roman Reigns' career, and I think that he will one-up John Cena next week. would be the next natural evolution of it. And, and to say the only thing I really didn't like about it, and let's get into this part of it, is what happened next. I really didn't like that mm -hmm. we saw them teaming up again because as good as that promo was back and forth and as different as it felt for their characters, which is why I popped – Guys, you just teamed them up last week coming off of a scenario where they were kind of at odds against each other. Why run that back-to-back? -back? And why does Gallows and Anderson have the job again? Well, I, I, again Side story. Especially, yeah, because at least, at least, like, okay, like, you put them up against, let's say it's, like, Sheamus and Cesaro, maybe they're going to lose. But, like, you put them up against, you know, Gallows and Anderson, obviously they're going to win. So I think to your I, point, Brian, like, they kind of blew it. I to be up against tough opposition, but, the, but Silver King, is there any justification for running back the tag team again? Outside of just ratings. No, it's awful. Um, and if you're going to do it, if you have to do that for whatever reason, Vince demands a tag team match with them on the same team, you have them get in the start of a scuffle. You have Kurt Angle break them up and say, you know what, guys? We're going to mend this fence. You guys are going to tag together tonight. You don't just have Gallows and Anderson come out for no good reason. They couldn't even explain why they came out because they're not good brothers and they wanted to challenge them to a match. It just didn't make any sense. But no, you can't do that. And I'll add one more thing to what you just said. If they think they're, they will sell it by just doing promos. But the reason Reigns Strowman worked so well is because it was physical. And you, you got rid of, oh, I don't like Roman Reigns on the mic. And you got to enjoy him in the ring. 
And if they are going to spend the next four weeks with these guys doing promos back and forth, even if Reigns gets a perfectly scripted promo next week, it's eventually going to fall apart. They have to protect him and let this get physical. I don't know if I agree with that, but but I think it's a fair, it's a fair point opposite. to bring up. Go ahead, Bry. I was going to say, I don't want them touching each other until no mercy. I think I'm, I'm I more with Brian on this one. I don't want a single hand because this is a rare matchup that we've never seen before. So maybe that supports them being in a tag team, right? Maybe that supports because that segment, that contract segment could have ended with John Cena delivering the AA and walking tall as Reigns gets up and holds his jaw, right? Or it could have ended, you know, but instead it delayed the gratification will be better if it's delayed. So maybe, you know, I'd rather be tired from a promo from them, but they're still trying than be tired from them taking turns, beating each other up to close each draw episode. The only time that I want to see these two get physical before no mercy, if it happens at all is on the go home raw to end raw, to leave you out being like, wow, I can't wait to see this on Sunday. Other than that, I really don't want to see it. One last note on this. Let's tie a bow around this uh, this conversation. You know, we can be prisoners of the moment at times. I think anyone can, you know, talking about anything. But after it was over, I was kind of sitting there. And there's been some good moments. Festival of Friendship, the great stuff with Samoa Joe and Heyman and Brock. I thought this was the best promo of the year in WWE. Agree or disagree, Bri? Hmm. Uh, On the spot, that's an interesting take. It certainly is in the discussion. Uh, you know, I mean, Paul Heyman's going to always have one or two in, in there and I'm, and I'm two are, are jumping out to me, but yeah, I mean, you have to ask yourself, was it better content? Well, well let me phrase the question uh, dif- differently. Well, let me finish. Yeah. Was it better content than what Cena and Miz did leading up to WrestleMania or did it just hit you harder because it was Reigns and Cena and you didn't expect them? Well, that's the question. Did, did, did this promo hit you in the feel spot more than any other promo this year in WWE? I guess that's the way to phrase it. Maybe, maybe because of how unique it was and wanting to see these guys against each other. And, oh, my God, we're seeing this in August. Why are we seeing this in August? Oh, my God, this is so good. They mentioned the fourth fall. Yes, Nick, I agree with you now. Ding, ding, ding. Number one answer, you might be right. I'm now refired up. I'm now having to grab another <laughs> towel, okay? Uh, for me, you know what? It was really good. It got that, oh, my God, moment. But that Kevin Owens promo, uh, talking about his father screwing Brett, Vince McMahon screwing Brett, and now Shane's just like his dad from a couple weeks ago right before SummerSlam. That was really, really good. So that's number one for me. All right, let's go on to the second part of our double main events. Um, Bri, I'm just going to turn the floor over to you after I set it up. Alexa Bliss beat Sasha Banks. Very good match in the main event of Raw to regain the women's championship. Nia Jax cleans house. We're going to get Jax and Bliss most likely coming up at No Mercy here. Um, we have not texted about it, but I could tell before the show that you were a little fired up about this. So take it away, big man. Of course I am, because there's so much competing good and bad in what happened here. Love that they were in the main event on Raw. Love that it was a match that mattered. Love the chemistry. Love that they delivered. Love this feud so much. Even love the insertion of Nia Jax. Why? Well, because she's not like most girls. But two, because it's kind of interesting what happened. Don't love that Sasha's giving the title back. So what is the hell is going on here? My only answer is this. Does Sasha really have that bad backstage heat that they just won't commit to horror? I mean, maybe she's going to end up winning it back again and, and we'll get the title reign we want. But the whole point of what how we got here was the Bailey injury was perfect timing. Now you have the chance to reclaim Sasha's brand and actually build her to the level we want. The storyline was that she had never actually defended that title. It was a, it was a cool little nugget there. Like, okay, now we can finally start. Obviously, they're extending that storyline. But my question is why? Because Bliss is so good? Well, yes, yeah, she is kind of so good right now. 
but you can still tell the story, I think, keeping the belt on Banks. It devalues the belt, and the reason why I'm extra mad about that is because there's no value in the SmackDown belt right now at all. There was value in the NXT belt, but now Asuka had to give it up because of injury, and we don't know where it's going next. This is the right person with the belt at the right time, and there's times when quick changes make sense, but I like establishment and for title changes to mean something. I did not feel having this happen here because there was a key unique factor and element in Charlotte and Sasha trading it last year. That was like how you label that feud when you look back. Remember all those times they traded it back and forth? It was like any given week there could be a new champion. But that was unique to them. Don't waste that on this when Sasha has looked so good. The end product that would be great for this feud, because this feud is great. I love how these two work together. I know Nick loves Alexa Bliss up and down, and he should. But my point is this. Ponytailed Alexa Bliss yet again on Raw, Bri. Love that. Absolutely. The end run that we need to see, the end product, and we may end up seeing it. So I may have one of those things where I complain now and be happy later. A double turn is the right ending to this feud because Sasha is great as a heel, was great in NXT as a heel. For whatever reason, they don't let her be a heel on main roster. That's fine. Alexa starting to get those baby face pops because people just love her. And she kind of looks like a baby face, like her look. The bottom line, it's a baby face look. Maybe we'll still get there, but I don't justify in this spot off a platform like SummerSlam where Sasha finally got over the top and won it. You know, and Charlotte's not in this feud and she won it. It was her time. How do you justify handing it back when, like I said, every other parameter of what they did Monday night I loved? How do you justify that? I've got two takes on this. Number one, this was an outright burial of Sasha Banks as far as I feel like. How do you take her seriously moving forward here? Because the whole story, and like I'm watching Raw on Monday night, right? And like they had announced the match the week before. And Alexa Bliss said the week before, you know, you've never successfully defended the belt. Like she wins the belt and then she loses it. And that was the omnipresent storyline leading into the match, which made me, hardened wrestling fan, jaded wrestling fan in his mid-30s, say, okay, Sasha's going to absolutely win because they're hitting it over your head that she's never had a successful defense. So I was shocked when Alexa Bliss won the match. Like, legitimately, like, I don't get shocked often at the results of matches. When you watch wrestling long enough, you have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. They swerved me with this, and this was a burial of Sasha as a legit contender. Like, WWE expects you to forget some things, right? Like, Kane tries to murder The Undertaker. Three months later, they're back to being tag team partners. Like, Edge and Christian aren't actually brothers in real life. We're going to tell you they are, and then he's not. Kofi Kingston's not actually Jamaican, but we're going to tell you he is, and now we're going to introduce him as being from West Ghana and hope that you forget about it. Down by the beach, boy! But, like, WWE fans aren't going to forget about this because that's the story now, is that Sasha's a loser. And it felt like... The, the writing team, once Bailey got hurt, they were like, all right, what the hell do we do here? Let's just have Sasha win to get the pop at SummerSlam, then get it back to Alexa for this Nia Jax feud. So it really felt like this was just rushed. It wasn't done correctly. And you're 100% right on the Banks Bliss thing. They really should do a double turn because in my mind, Sasha Banks, the face, is dead and buried at this point as far as a legit competitor that is taken seriously on Monday Night Raw. There's no justification for this. I mean, you guys laid it out, so I'm not going to repeat it, but there is no way this is quote-unquote good for business to have someone like Sasha Banks, who the fans love, who is your best in-ring performer on the main roster, just jobbing like this on Raw. Clean. Clean eight days after winning the title. She has had four title reigns since the women's division was restarted in WWE. They are of 27 days, 27 days 
20 days, and 8 days. Literally going down one by one. And this was the worst of them all. She got a massive pop in Brooklyn. The fans absolutely love her. And you want to talk about people that can carry a women's division. You have two of them on Raw. Alexa Bliss and Sasha Banks. Bliss had her turn. She also had it on SmackDown. And Banks did not. This was her opportunity to carry the water for the women's division. Then on SmackDown, you also have two women who can do it. Uh, Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. Lynch is nowhere near the title picture. Neither is Charlotte. She also has some family things going on right now. But she wouldn't be near it anyway. So what WWE was really running hot with this women's division a few months ago, going into WrestleMania and shortly thereafter. And they, again, with booking and again with storyline, are just decimating themselves. And they have no one but themselves to blame. And I don't mean to keep hammering home the same point, but outside of uh, Bliss, who is a success story, who kind of peaked at the right time and kept peaking... What do we say about almost every single person, women on the roster right now? We say, man, I wish they could be booked like they were back in NXT, right? Back when Paul Levesque had the book. Why can they not book on the main roster in the women's division? Like, they're still booking with the idea that we're in the sex, uh, the brawn panty sex era, yet we're not. We're in the women's revolution era, but that it's still not fully connected, Nick. And it drives me wild. Then I have to ask myself, why do I care this much? Well, because I love this crap. That's why I care this much. But come on, Nick. Well, it's still real to you, damn it. It's still real to me, too. And, Bri, think about this. Think about how hard it is for paid professionals. Like, there are people that WWE pays to sit in a room and write storylines and book characters who screw up Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch. Do you know how hard it is? Like, we talk about this on the men's side all the time. Like, why doesn't Dolph Ziggler get pushed? Sami Zayn's so good, but they never push him. He's a jobber to the stars, as Jobert, Brian, as you would say. It's the same crap on the women's side. Like, like, do you know how hard it is, like, to screw up Sasha Banks? Like, she's so good. How hard it is to screw up Bailey? How hard it is to screw up Becky Lynch? How hard it is to screw up Charlotte frickin' Flair? But yet they do it. Like, it's almost like, it's like, it's like an anchorman. Like, I'm not even mad. It's amazing. Like, it's, it's almost incredible, like, like the, the amount of ineptitude here. In the same week that you launched the Mae Young Classic, which I know everything they do that involves women, they try to put it out as like it's a great step forward in the women's revolution. This was actually something, the launch of the Mae Young Classic, that actually is a great step forward in the women's revolution. And then we have this step back. But like I said, look, the whole sequence was actually a good match. I don't hate that Nia's involved. Will she be involved in a triple threat moving forward? Or does this signal the start of the, that that ten, that tense friendship breaking apart? Is it now bliss and... Jack's moving forward in your eyes? It's going to be Bliss Jacks. Um, and I think they're going to get try and get Nia over as a dominant face. I think you're going to try and see the same thing done on SmackDown with a women's competitor there. We will get to that in our next installment, Brian Campbell, of the crooked Russian judge, the Silver King, his favorite segment, Hero or Zero. <laughs> I would have not started talking until that stopped. Like that was, <laughs> that's so good. Like we finally like that, Bri, you killed it with that one. That was actually really good. So here he is, Comrade Silverstein, uh, to judge the hero or zero best of five. Go ahead with question number one. All right, we're going to keep going with Raw. It started on Monday with an extended segment that included a battle royal, the result of which was Jeff Hardy becoming the number one contender, contender to the Mrs. Intercontinental Championship BC. Is this choice a hero or zero? 
it was a surprising hero. I got to give them credit. Look, this was a very good Raw episode overall in my eyes, and this set the tone in the opening segment because it went away from the predictable. They had quality guys in this. It wasn't just the mix of Joe Bears in this battle royal. I love that something was at stake, a real tangible title shot next week. It also reinvested the idea that these Raws are going to be good as we head into the football season. There's going to be matches that matter. We looked at the field. We thought, okay, storyline-wise, got to be Jason Jordan. It has to be. The only wild card was the fact that Finn Balor was in this, and we didn't yet know if he was done with Bray Wyatt. So it was a actual pretty darn good Battle Royal. And these days, in the ages of great Royal Rumbles that we see, Battle Royals tend to suffer whenever we do see them. You know, it, it just doesn't have the same juice as it did in the 80s and early 90s before Royal Rumbles really started to take off. This was really good, and it totally swerved me in, in the end. I'm sure it swerved you guys. Once Finn Balor got eliminated, you thought for sure it was all Jason Jordan. And to surprise you with Jeff Hardy, who can put out still, and we've seen it on Raw here and there since the comeback, some really good singles matches. I now want to see where we are going next. I'm very excited about this hero. I have a hero or zero to give first, not for the question given, but since we're not going to mention it again, the Finn Balor-Bray Wyatt program should have ended at SummerSlam. <laughs> of course. Like, why, are we do- why is there more Finn Balor and Bray Wyatt? Like, Do we need to see that again? Like, Bray went over the Raw before SummerSlam. The Demon won at SummerSlam. That should be the end of it. But no, creative's got nothing for either one of these guys. So here's another month of Finn Balor and Bray Wyatt. That gets a zero. As for Jeff Hardy, though, it's a massive hero. Brian, do you remember back in 2009 when Jeff Hardy was feuding with a guy by the name of CM Punk for the SmackDown Championship? Jeff Hardy Hardy was the most over superstar in all of WWE, including a guy by the name of Jonathan Cena. Jeff Hardy is a single superstar, right? And we have been clamoring, I've been clamoring for something different from the Hardys in this run where it's all just been the old nostalgia act that you always talk about, Bri. If you're not going to give us Broken Matt and you're not going to give us Brother Nero, then let's get Jeff Hardy where he belongs, in singles competition, where he can really get over. Now, I don't know if he's going to win the IC belt. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. But I'm damn excited to see how it's going to shake out. The match is going to be good. And Jeff Hardy's great. And get him away from Matt for right now for at least a week. How could this be anything but a huge, huge hero? Man, that was a strip sack and a fumble recovery for Nick. Because I thought BC had that one in the bag. But point goes to the handsome one. Fantastic point there. I will say, guys, I really wanted to see Finn Balor in the IC title picture. Like, you're right. End that feud and move him forward. Do something different with him. Number two, there was a lot to digest on SmackDown with the WWE Championship picture, namely Randy Orton being inserted right back into it with a number one contender match against Shinsuke Nakamura next week on the show. Orton also surprised Nakamura with that RKO out of nowhere following the tag team main event. Nick, hero or zero on Orton's continued involvement here and Nakamura just not being granted another shot like Orton was three times. Well, I mean, as we've said earlier, like WWE expects you to forget certain things. Like we're supposed to forget that Orton got three title matches in a row. Right. So, I mean, I I can't really get upset about that part of it because a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. Orton's involvement though, it's a hero for me, right? Because now at least you've got some juice, some sizzle. What's going to happen next week? I loved Orton staying in character and hitting Nakamura with the RKO. And let's be real. SmackDown was bad on Tuesday night. Following a good episode last week, it was bad. And a very formulaic paint-by-numbers main event that you could have called the finish of the second it was announced with Nakamura pinning Rusev. So I like Orton in this match. I, it gives you something to look forward to next week. I think Nakamura will win the match and face Jinder again. But at least you're not giving it to him straight up here. And I liked Orton being in character in Viper mode going over, putting uh, Nakamura down with the RKO after the match. So a hero for me. 
this couldn't have been a bigger zero across the board. This was WWE realizing probably from SummerSlam that, you know what, guys? Much as was a good idea, Nakamura and, and Jinder really don't have chemistry in the ring. They really don't have chemistry on the mic across from each other. So we should probably insert a splash here to try to make it more fun. What do we do? We take two guys that nobody wants to see right now. We're done with Randy Orton in this program against either of these two guys. Now we're just going to stretch it out. You know what this, how lazy this looked like? This looked like SmackDown looking, going, hey, Raw's been really good the last five, six months. Why? Because they got two really good feuds that was great. It ran its course and they combined them at SummerSlam. Now they're separating them and going to stretch him out again. Why don't we do that here? Why don't we take this Cena uh, Rusev feud that, by the way, nobody cares about, and we drop it into a championship feud that, for the most part, nobody cares about. Massive failure altogether. Did I want to see these four in a main event on summer, on SmackDown Live after seeing Jinder in the opening segment? Not, not at all. And by the way, Jinder's promo, not bad in the opening segment. Comparative. Sounded a lot like the other ones, but a little more vicious on the xenophobe. I was down with that. Rest of it, zero. I also, by the way, I loved the Singh brothers. <laughs> like, please, Maharaja, <laughs> like, please forgive us. Can we kiss your royal feet? That was pretty funny as well. Yeah, uh, I was 50-50 going in in terms of where I felt, and BC won me over there. That was indeed a zero. Number three here, the May Young Classic made its debut on WWE Network Monday. First four episodes you can stream now. And there's a bunch of news swirling around it. First off, Dave Meltzer reports the tournament winner on September 12th, it's going to be a live show after SmackDown from Las Vegas, might get the vacant NXT Women's Championship given up by Asuka. WWE also announced that they have signed Casey uh, Katnazaro from American Ninja Warrior. That's Mighty Casey for those uh, like me who don't want to say her last name too many times. At the bat. Yeah, at Casey at the bat, who was in the crowd at the show. Plus, we all know Ronda Rousey was in attendance to watch Shayna Baszler. So far, BC, what are your impressions of the Mae Young Classic and what WWE is doing around it? Uh, a, a full hero all the way around. Look, the tournament so far, I watched a couple episodes. Pretty good, right? It's got a cruiserweight classic feel. The idea is introducing new and unique female superstars that'll one day fill out your roster. And if we look at the Raw and SmackDown rosters right now, being really honest, we got a lot of people that are just sitting around buying their time that aren't, really aren't adding anything. I know the booking's bad on Raw and SmackDown women, but there's a lot of those, you know, uh, Emma, Mickey James types who really aren't going in a, in a right direction at this moment. There's a lot of fresh and new. I'm not going to go overboard and say... It's as good as the Cruiserweight Classic, or it's great. So far, pretty good. The stuff around it is definitely a hero. I like the idea of the winner getting the NXT Women's title. Not necessarily because they would earn it or deserve it, but when you pair that with the whole Ronda Rousey situation and that her good friend and former MMA training partner, Shayna Baszler, is rumored to go pretty far in this tournament and rumored to have a good chance at getting a push because of that close friendship with Rousey, if she came out of this, let's say, and had the belt, would that escalate Rousey's start in WWE if those rumors are true? I think it would. So that's a hero. And finally, Casey Kenton's there was a big hero. I don't know if everybody out there watches American Ninja Warrior, but for people that do, she's an absolute sweetheart and, and almost face of that brand for a couple of years until she kind of started to fall by the wayside in terms of her ability. But coming over, the, here's a former gymnast. You know, look at what Alexa Bliss is doing. I don't know if she's going to be able to talk on the mic, but she's going to bring over a new audience. Smart move, big hero all the way around. All right, you want to break the fourth wall? Here's the deal. My, my days are hell right now. It's CBS because I'm doing 50 million things. I have not watched the, the May Young Classic, to be completely honest, so I concede the point to, uh, to the Brian Campbell. I will try and watch some before next week. What's funny is my days are pretty busy, too, and I haven't watched much of it either, so if I, if I followed Nick's normal thing, I would agree with him and give him the point, but no. Of course, it goes to BC right there. Number That's four. exactly what a sneaky commie would have you think. <laughs> Number four, Lana 
Lana, Speak, a, speaking of sneaky commies, has officially shed her wrestling gear and returned as a manager. And guys, she looks hotter than ever. All right, that's your opinion, Silver King. I disagree with that. Oh, the, I don't know how you could possibly all right, all right, disagree she, with that. She, she looks great, but nothing could ever beat the way she was with Rusev back in no, the day. No, she's better now. This oh, my God. Oh, I disagree. So I like, much better. I, I liked her before, but I mean, but like we're splitting hairs here. She looks great both ways. Go, Go watch SmackDown again and tell me that. <laughs> anyway, she's back to the old character. That's what's really important here. Uh, not with Rusev, though, but with Tamina Mashka, who picked up a squash win over a Jobert on Tuesday night. Nick, hero or zero on creative making this move and ditching Lana, the in-ring performer? It's half hero and half zero. The half hero is because they took Lana out of the ring and they have her do What a novel concept. Let's have Lana do what she does best. I mean, this would be like, like should LeBron James coach the, coach the Cleveland Cavaliers or should he be playing in the game? Hey, WWE, take Lana out of the ring and put her on the mic and have her be someone's manager. That gets half a, a hero. You know what gets the half zero? Tamina's involvement because Tamina can't talk. Tamina's a dangerous... How about Tamina? This poor Jobert, after Tamina wins, she goes to throw the poor Jobert out of the ring and smashes her neck against the bottom rope and the poor Jobert had to like drag herself out of the ring and probably had a pretty sore neck probably still sore right now as we as we tape this podcast on Wednesday afternoon you know who Lana should be with guys I'm gonna I'm about to give you a take that's gonna shatter everything (laughs) that you're not gonna believe this is akin to splitting the goddamn atom do you know what it is do you know who Lana should be in the corner of how about Rusev? Because it worked so well the first time. Let's just take her away and separate them, even though they're on the same damn show. It makes no sense. It's half hero and it's half zero. I'm going to give a hero to this. Hero to what uh, Adam was saying earlier. This is the hottest she could ever look. This was like, wow. This was like, why did we ever do that experiment? By the way, they never even went the distance with the experiment of Lana as a solo act. I don't mean in the ring. They didn't do the extended entrances with her on the chair like they originally teased. It was almost as bad as teasing Emmalina and then completely pulling the plug in such embarrassing fashion. But whatever, that doesn't matter. She's a hero back in this role in the pinstripe suits. And this is a slight hero in trying to make something out of Tamina because she's bad on the mic. Yes, she is a legacy candidate. And there's one thing that she brings, a unique body to it. Not exactly a monster like Nia Jax, but she's also big and strong. She's Nia Jax light. Can work and move a little bit, you know, has a, the, the name and the reputation and does a very physical style. I think it's unique have a, a mouthpiece who can actually talk. This is an interesting experiment. It's a lot better than what we're doing with Emma and Mickey James, so this is a hero. There are plenty of women falling by the wayside, and as nice as it is for them to be able to use, do something with Tamina, Rusev needs Lana by his side. Nick gets the point, and we are Tied at 2-2, entering number five. What a novel concept. Here we are, PWI, Pro Wrestling Illustrated editor Dan Murphy. Silver King tried there to pull off the novel concept. It fell a little flat, but go ahead, Silver King. (sighs) A for effort. Pro Wrestling Illustrated (laughs) editor Dan Murphy told Jim Ross on his podcast that Kaz Okada will be number one in the MAG's top 500 rankings for 2017. Guys, it's the first time in history that a Japanese wrestler will earn that honor, and it's just the second time all time that a non-WWE wrestler got it. The first one was Sting in 1992. Now, guys, kayfabe plays a role in these rankings. It's not just about in-ring skill, but is Kaz Okada the right choice for number one from July 2016 to June 2017? BC, hit me up. Hero or zero? Absolutely. This is a hero. He is the right choice because keeping that kayfabe element in it, he's the the face of that of that promotion. He's the IWGP heavyweight champion and he's held on to that belt. So, yes, he's also given you been a part of 
maybe three of the best five matches in pro wrestling history on top of that. Love that somebody from NJPW takes the number one here because it's time. It's deserving. These are the best in the world. Obviously, you can argue for Kenny, but if you keep the kayfabe element in, massive hero for Kaz getting this call. Because there's nobody on WWE that's being booked strong enough to really have a chance to argue this. You know, I I guess you kind of have to take the kayfabe element into this, right? Uh, and, And make Okada number one. But he's not. He's not the number one performer. He's not the number one in the top 500. He's not number one from July 2016 to present day 2017. You know who is? Kenneth Omega. You know why? Because Kenny Omega is better than Kazuchika Okada. And, you know, Okada deserves credit. And I'm not saying he should be, like, outside even the top two or top three. He should be number two behind Omega. But bottom line, Omega on the mic, Omega in the ring, whether it's in this year's G1, whether it's in last year's G1, whether it's at Wrestle Kingdom, whether it's at Dominion, whether it's at the G1 Long Beach Special in the United States, main eventing against Ishii, main eventing against Michael Elgin, Kenny Omega, the best performer in the world today, period, end of story. PWI got it wrong with Okada. It's not an egregious error, but it is an error nonetheless. Kenny Omega should have been number one. So before I give the point and end this segment, I want to read you guys the top ten because they did actually release all ten on the Ross Report. So we have Okada number one, and here's two through ten. Styles, Owens, Roman Reigns, Kenneth Omega, Shinsuke Nakamura. That's Kenny Omega at five, Nick. Shinsuke Nakamura six. Dean Ambrose, Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode, 9, and The Miz, 10. BC, any thoughts on that? Yeah, why is Bobby Roode in the top 10? A, and B, Shinsuke, way too high. Come on. Yeah, I mean, the list, because it's kayfabe, so, like, we can't really take it too seriously, so. All right, point goes to... Brian Campbell, who gets the win 3-2 over Nick. Yeah, whatever. These things, these wins are so hollow. They mean nothing because the judge is, is absolutely corrupt. So, Bri, let's move on from uh, from Comrade Silver King here. And, you know, you laid down an edict on last week's show. You told the listeners, you want DMs? You want us to answer them? You need to send us some better direct messages. So, Brian Campbell, it is time to find out if they stepped up to the plate as we slide on into the old DMs. Now, what Yo Gotti is referring to in that song, the type of things that go down in the DMs, that's like what I do in the DMs on Instagram, where you can follow me at the Costos. This is a different type of slide. <laughs> he's into talking the about DMs. like when you want the green light, you're at the, you're in a car, you just want to be able to drive. That's he's kind of <laughs> Listen, I, I just want to go. That's all I really want. Give me the green light, so I'm ready to go. Bright. You happy with the results of the DMs this week, buddy? Very happy. They we we challenged. They responded. They hit. They hit us up at B Campbell CBS at the Costos at Silverstein Adam or on social media using that hashtag in this corner. And they brought it. The volume was strong. The creativity was strong. There's a couple that didn't even make the cut. That could have been 10 minute segments on their own. Well played. Uh, audience, we don't have a name. We, we're not corny. We don't have like the WWE universe, the ITC Avalanche. We don't have cra- we don't have crap names like that. But well played, our people. All no, right? we do appreciate it. And first one up, our guy Patrick Fahey, Saint Patrick Fahey on Twitter said speculation that wrestlers could be sent down to NXT to work on their character and get screen time. What WWE main roster competitor, Brian Campbell, would you most want to send down to NXT to rehabilitate his character or to try and get more over with the fans? Coincidentally, Nick, I'm wearing his T-shirt, Bo Dallas. And look, I know he was actually really good in NXT, right? Once held the championship with a character that was sort of a combination of his grandpa, Blackjack Mullen, and his uncle, Barry Windham. It just didn't fully work 
once he went to the main roster, he quickly became the Bo Leave gimmick, which we liked. But he didn't. He wasn't in great shape. He didn't get a great push. But you know what? There's real talent inside of Taylor Rotunda. I'm telling you that there is. So I would send him back down to NXT and reinvent him and let him build himself into a main event champion run and become the face of that brand and dominate the microphone like his brother has done at times on the main roster. So you want an idea? How about a sadistic prosperity preacher, like a snake oil salesman, kind of like a brother love, but not that much over the top, you know, goofy comedian, a guy who plays up the false positivity that he's already established with believe, but is obviously a dark heel underneath. He can still keep the facial hair that he wears. Now there's some, something here. He can injure his opponents and then try to heal them, which is a little gimmick that he teased that time when, with the believe run, I think he just needs an entirely different look. I like the recent change with the facial hair, but if you re- reinvent him as nasty, I think in the end he could really get over and do major damage on the main roster because, I mean, look at the relatives in his family. Look at the natural things he brings. That's my guy that I send back down and let him become a star. And after he goes over someone and hurts them and tries to heal them, he can tell them, I love you, like our old friend, Brother Love. <laughs> uh, for me, it's I'm short and sweet, guys. Luke Harper, this guy does not need any help in the ring. He's absolutely incredible. If Drew McIntyre can be NXT champion, a you know changed and adjusted and whatever Luke Harper, a revolutionized character of Luke Harper can definitely do it. He needs a brand new gimmick. He needs to shave the beard. He just needs something different. But he's pure talent in the ring, and he's a guy who could be a main event program on the main roster with just about anyone. That's how good he is. I think Silver King has been right all along caping up for Luke Harper because I do think Luke Harper has a ton of potential. For me, it's Sami Zayn. He's wasted right now on the main roster. Put him in NXT. Give him a run with the title. Have him put people over because he is a sensational worker, and he's being wasted right now on SmackDown Live. Next up, our buddy Asad Weaver at Mr. Weaver 83 Asad, we appreciate you. Asks, when was the first time your feel spot got hit? The very first time you were sitting at home in your PJs and just totally marked out. If you guys will allow me, let me go first. Short and sweet. WrestleMania 7. Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man Randy Savage. Career-ending match. I marked out as a Warrior fan when Warrior won. I thought he might lose and his career would be over. I was 7 or 8 years old. And then the Savage face turn after the match. I knew that I was hooked forever on professional wrestling once that happened. WrestleMania 7, Warrior Savage. Love that. Love that right there. Look, I started watching wrestling in late 84 with the Hogan Piper run on MTV that they were doing. I was trying to figure out what's the first moment, though, that it was like real that you had like you had a physical reaction. Great question. I actually found the date. July 19th, 1986. All right. You know how much I love the mega powers explode from a couple years later. Hogan Savage. That was kind of a redo of a gimmick that doesn't in a gimmick in a, in a feud that doesn't get talked about enough. It's the Hulk Hogan, Paul Orndorff feud from a few years ago. We know they were involved in the WrestleMania one main event against each other. Well, what happened? Orndorff eventually turned face. In fact, the first ever WWE pay-per-view, the wrestling classic in late 85, Orndorff ran in the Hogan Piper match to save Hogan from a beatdown of Cowboy Bob Orton's cast. They were best friends. They were like a mini version of the mega powers. And you know how well this was booked. This is what gave them the idea to do the Hogan Savage later because they became a tag team, but everybody started to get in Paul Orndorff's head. He would go on the flower shop with Adrian Adonis and he would call him Hulk Jr. And you could see over time, Orndorff was starting to 
to get upset that he was in Hulk's shadow, that he was a mini version of Hulk. There was this great pro gimmick promo thing where Orndorff gets on a phone trying to call Hulk to tell him that he's mad, and they go, oh, Hulk's in the gym. He's on the bench. He's got like 548 pounds up. He's too busy. He can't come to the phone. And that was the turning point of Orndorff's anger. And it all happened in July of 86. They had a tag team match. It was Oregon, Orndorff and Hogan against Bundy and Big John Studd. And Orndorff got hit when Hogan accidentally got thrown into him. While he's holding his ear, he watches as Hogan gets beat down by the two heels but doesn't come in and save him. And then waits until Hogan's at the end, at the end when the heels leave, picks him up puts his arm around him, raises Hogan's arm, and what does he do? Follows through with a stiff clothesline and then pile drives him down hard. And I have a holy crap moment where I felt like my best friend in life had turned on me, and it was the first time as a fan to mark out with that, oh my God, how could he do that feel? Instantly, Orndorff joins the Heaton family. You have a money feud right there. I really wish this feud would have been the main event at WrestleMania 2. In the end, it wasn't to be. They went with Bundy. I guess they, they figured he was a bigger villain, a better sell. But they did have a giant pay-per-view match, August of 86, in Toronto at the big event. This was the precursor for what became SummerSlam, Nick. And in the end, of course, Hogan went over. But don't ever forget about this Hogan-Orndorff feud. Fantastic, legendary. For me, a feel spot, when I think of it, is what happens on TV or on a pay-per-view that I immediately want to rewind and watch again. Not at the end of the show, right away. And mine doesn't start as early in my wrestling fandom as you guys. Mine was when DX invaded WCW. When you have Triple H and you have China and Road Dog and X-Pac and all them on the tank and they're trying to drive into the arena, I believe WWE and WCW were both in Atlanta on the same night. I think that's where it was. And I just remember... WCW's offices were... Well, right no, but they were both doing shows, like yeah. Raw and Nitro in the same same uh, city. And I just remember... Could that be true? I think it was, yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Someone can correct me on Twitter. But I just remember being so amped. Or maybe there was a house show and then Nitro or back-to-back days, SmackDown, whatever. Um, regardless, I just remember being so into it and laughing out loud and enjoying it and marking out because I ran a newsletter and I was smart about business and I knew everything that was going down. And I just remember enjoying it so much that I think it was a VCR still then. It definitely was. And I rewound it and I watched the entire thing a second time. And that's when I knew, man, this really hit me. Yeah, wrestling, absolutely tremendous, Silver King. I like that. I remember watching that and marking out as well. Last DM question comes from Ryan Thomas at RT Hamid. He asks, you can book only one of the following three matches at WrestleMania. Brian Campbell, which one would you choose? John Bones Jones against Brock Lesnar, Ronda Rousey against Charlotte Flair, or Conor McGregor against The Miz? Well, first of all, shout out to Ryan Thomas for uh, stepping up like the rest of you guys. And he even called out Dingus McGee in his answer. There was maybe a little feud we got going here. But look, there's one answer to this one. It's Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair. And the reason is, I think it's the most legitimate match you could have out of these three choices right here. We don't know if Bones Jones or Conor McGregor could cut it inside of a wrestling ring. I think we have a better idea that Rousey could. And like I said it before, I'll say it again. Every WWE female superstar's dream is to one day main event WrestleMania. This matchup right here, Rousey versus Charlotte Flair, has all the prestige and the makings to actually do that. Should they build up Rousey and really build her up as unbeatable, the star power here, get Rick involved, this would be phenomenal. Nick, this could legitimately be a WrestleMania main event, and we wouldn't say anything negative against it. Rousey Flair all the way. I'm with you, buddy, but I'll tell you, those Conor McGregor Miz promos would be absolutely sensational leading up to a match 
at WrestleMania. So great job by everyone in the DMs this week. You answered the challenge. Now you have to continue to do so. Slide into the DMs at B. Campbell CBS, at Silverstein Adam, at the Costos on Twitter, and at the Costos on Instagram for the female listeners. Bri, with that, we move in to pay per view rewind. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All day I just let it run. The music's sensational. So my pick, In Your House 16 Canadian Stampede back in 1997. This one taking place in Calgary. The Hart Foundation, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, the British Bulldog, Jim the Anvil, Neidhart, and Brian Pillman against Steve Austin, Ken Shamrock, Goldust, and the Legion of Doom. I pick this one for two reasons. Number one, the crowd is as hot as any match I've ever seen. It was unbelievable and added a lot to the proceedings. And number two, I feel like this is sort of a forgotten match in the annals of wrestling history. And I feel like a lot of people have not seen it before and I wanted to shine a spotlight of it because it was such a unique match with such a unique crowd. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as I did the first time and on the rewatch. Brian Campbell, your thoughts. I definitely had not seen this match. And I'm trying to think, how did I not see this match? How did I not even remember it? I remember some elements of it. Some of the crowd play with the hearts, I do remember. So I had to have seen it in some form. But it felt like the first time for me. And the one thing that certainly jumped out, like you mentioned, was how insane was the crowd and how insanely over were these Canadian heels in their home base of Calgary Holy crap. Like it almost made me forget about how phenomenally stupid the fact that everybody was wearing cowboy hats, including all the (laughs) the uh, on air talent was. I have show me a hotter crowd. Nick, seriously, show me a hotter WWF slash E crowd. I'm not sure I've ever seen one. That was the instant jump down when this match started and Brett instantly gets on Steve Austin and he's hammering him down with punches in the corner. I have never heard a crowd go that insane. So I certainly pop for that. I also pop for this awkward exchange from Vince where like a lot of people, when this match starts, I go, Oh, there's gold dust, but where's, you know, where's Terry Runnels? Where's Marlena? Nick, she's a super corner person. Yeah, uh, super corner person. Said, right? Yeah, super yeah, corner person. That wasn't awkward or anything. But um, what a maneuver! One, two, he got him. No, he didn't. No, he did. Uh, one thing that sticks out to me also. This was one month before Owen Hart pile drove Steve Austin at SummerSlam and, and basically broke his you know freaking neck. This was absolutely prime top shelf in-ring mechanic Steve Austin at the peak of his absolute powers. And while that element didn't play up as much because it's a 10-man tag team, you got to have respect that this was the very... I know he was better on the microphone in the end on the road, but this was the best in-ring I've ever seen Steve Austin. You know, the only negatives really, and I'm there's plenty of positives, the only negatives were the finish, eh, and no, no, the Austin's no, no, team. You, you, what was bad about the finish? It I'll just ended. After he's done. It was a quick roll up, and that was it. I mean, it was over. Um, I wanted to see a little bit more sustained, but also Austin's team. It was just a mis- mismatch of you know Americans, basically that they all threw together. So I thought that was a little strange. But look, as Nick said, as BC said, this is the WWE now known as the Universe at its absolute best. The only other event I ever remember fans being that rowdy 
was when that ECW, they did the ECW return pay-per-view with RVD and John Cena in the main event, and they did it at the Hammerstein Ballroom, and that was, they were absolutely insane. It's the only thing that comes close to rivaling it. And it's also WWE booking at its best because if you lead, if the lead into this match, you have Austin Hart at WrestleMania 13, and you have all those other matches that got to it. And as BC said, or as Nick said, I forgot who it was, Austin Owen Hart coming after it. I loved it. I loved every part of it. And the only other thing I'll say is this. It's, it shows in that match at the end of that show how much Vince McMahon loved and respected the Hart family, that he legitimately had the entire brood in the ring at the end of the match, and some of the brothers involved well, that were not part of WWE. Because people will think Edge Christian and Gangrel, but I know okay. what you mean. It was the it was the entire Hart family there in the ring at the end of the match. For me, the thing that was kind of the only thing I didn't like about the match, and it kind of made me sad. Hawk, the British Bulldog, Owen Hart, and Brian Pillman, all no longer with us. So that really sucked. Just a reminder that a lot of the wrestlers that we grew up watching no longer with us, and very sad, obviously. So that was the only thing that. That hurt me to kind of go back and watch this here. Now, Dave Meltzer gave this 4.25 stars in The Observer at the time. Um, let's get our five-star ratings here, starting, Brian, with you. You know, I just, in the end, I got to side with with uh, Adam. I didn't love the finish. The match had incredible energy from the crowd like we talked about. Good in-ring action, some good physicality, but in the end, kind of a cluster. And I'm not saying that negatively to say it wasn't a great experiment experience, especially since I hadn't seen it before. I mean, it was just weird. Why are the Road Warriors walking up the ramp after the end of the match when they lost, holding their arms up like they won? There were just little things that stood out to me that I love that the hearts get their moment and that this heel stable gets a baby face type pop in Canada. That part of it was all great. Austin trying to come back one time with a chair and getting beaten down by all of them, but it was a little bit of a cluster. I'm going to give it three and a half stars and say I enjoyed it, but I don't think it was a classic. I think the match was three and a half stars. I think the crowd gets its own quarter star, so 3.75 for me. Uh, I think that the match was probably three stars. The crowd was six stars. <laughs> so let's split the difference, and we'll call it a straight up. I think Meltzer probably got it right. 4.25 stars. You can't go more than that because the quality of the match was not great from start to finish. But I'll tell you what. Um, you didn't like the finish. They had to do it because, the A, the hearts needed to go over in in Canada. And, and, and did I say A or, or one? You Whatever. So B or yeah. two. Um they were setting up Owen Austin at SummerSlam. So that's why they did the finish with Owen with the roll-up of a Stone Cold Steve Austin and Austin giving the finger while handcuffed afterwards to the crowd was awesome. So that was my second choice here for Pay-Per-View Rewind. Silver King, you're up next. What match will we be watching? All right, Nick, we're going to go back to 2003. Brock Lesnar versus John Cena for the WWE Championship. It's a I don't remember this match. People forget that Lesnar and Cena had a feud back in the day, 10 years removed from their more recent feud. I'm not going to say whether it's a good or great match or a terrible or bad match. What I'm going to say is a lot of our listeners right now probably never saw it, or if they did, it's been a decade and they've forgotten about it. So there you have it. The Silver King's pick, Pay-Per-View Rewind. I can't wait to watch it. I've never seen it. Backlash 2003. Was he the Doctor of Thugonomics at the time, Cena? Absolutely. John Cena, the Doctor of Thugonomics against a young beast, Brock Lesnar. And with that, let's close the show with the old feel spot, which struck us there this week. The man whose name is on the marquee, as always, goes first. Uh, just a combined feel spot for all of us, because we all agree. We love that Ric Flair is basically kicking out of this. He still has an uphill battle, but as Charlotte Flair told Renee Young on a WWE.com exclusive video, she said he's got nine lives. He's got a long road ahead. He, I'm not saying he's going to be back next week strutting, but definitely the prayers and the positive vibes have helped. You love to see Rick coming back from this. On TV, my feel spot this week came in that Brock Lesnar promo, because Paul Heyman did a really strong job putting over how tough Braun Strowman's going to be in this feud, and he set the stage. You knew there had to be a hammer home of a finish. I love that Braun Strowman's finish was essentially 
suplex city bitch and then he threw the mic and they walked out of there and sometimes it's the simplicity it felt like the attitude era it felt awesome field spot activated yeah outside of Cena Reigns there weren't a ton of field spots this week I really liked Kevin Owens grabbing the jersey off the referee and determining that he was going to be the referee of that match it didn't obviously work out we know what happened there but I, I laughed I it, I chuckled a little bit I thought it was really funny it's Sami Zayn with the pow- pop-up powerbomb f- causing Sami Zayn to lose that match to Aiden English for me it's not WWE and since the G1 we haven't talked a ton in New Japan because New Japan sort of goes on a little break after all their their top guys are working night after night after night basically for a month straight But it just hit me. Coming up on October 9th at King of Pro Wrestling. I love the names of these Japanese (laughs) events. Okada will defend his IWGP. I got that right? IWGP Heavyweight Championship against evil. Everything is evil. They had one of my favorite matches in the G1 when evil went over clean. Okada's first uh, clean loss in a year um, since... since, yeah, that was his first clean loss in a year, which is what I said. So, Are you calling from a walkie-talkie? <laughs> yes, here on the In This Campbell podcast. Um, <laughs> so Okada and Evil, October 9th. Can't wait for it. Can't wait for New Japan to get back in the swing of things. That hit me in the old feel spot. And that does it, guys, for this week's edition of In This Corner with the Brian Campbell for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. I am the very handsome and tanned Nick Costos, BC. Two words to end the podcast. We out.